Romans uh, 14, I want to I want to go back and revisit what's on the screen here. That's what we that was the last slide we had for Romans 13. But it's really important to me to to um, affirm this. As Americans, we think of freedom, and we have fairly poor concepts of what freedom is. Freedom means I can do anything I want. Well, no, nobody can do anything he wants. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that doesn't mean they're less free. It's just that your freedom is always circumscribed by the freedom of others. And so if, if I'm free and you're free, but I do something that infringes on your freedom, then I've really violated something, and, right. and that's not freedom. Right. So this is, this is the best I can do with thinking about what biblically we mean by freedom. My freedom is to limit myself as much as is necessary to help others grow spiritually. And from a biblical point of view, um, am I free to drink wine? Yes. Um, is is am I am I absolutely free to use wine? And the answer is no. If I if I have invited someone to my I don't I don't like alcohol. It doesn't taste good to me. Nothing tastes good to me like that. But but if I invite a friend to my home who's an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. But but most of you know that there is no such thing as a recovering alcoholic. You're always an alcoholic. Correct. But you're controlling it in some measure. Uh, So if I offer him wine, yes, and I have wine on the table, it's going to be a significant temptation. And it's not, that's not an act of freedom. That's an act of of violating freedom. So my freedom is my liberty to limit myself as much as is necessary to help others grow spiritually. So spiritual freedom aims at the good of the other, not the, 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 the pleasure or the convenience of the self. <clears throat> so that's critically important to me, and I, this is derived uh, from the study of Romans 12 and 13 and trying to understand what's going on in that passage. Second, um, 1 Corinthians 8 to 10 will address some of those issues as well. Uh, but now we move on to chapter 14. Uh, in chapter 14, we're going to take up the third of three issues that Paul raises in reference to what it means to make your body a living sacrifice. The first way to make your body a living sacrifice is by loving pe- people without play acting. Um, we've, we've turned make your body a living sacrifice into a whole theology of of um, the, the um, surrendered life or the crucified life, or but it's, it's none of that. It's it, this is very practical. It's down to earth, loving people without play acting, just genuinely loving people. Second way of expressing your your um, uh, of of making your body a living sacrifice is by um, limiting yourself as much as is necessary for the good of the other. Um, so that loving with... I'm oh, sorry, did I get this all mixed up? Oh, first way to make your body a living sacrifice is by spiritual gifting, ministry and your spiritual gifting. Second is by loving without play acting. Now in chapter 
14.1 to 15.13, he's going to specify both of these. Um, so he's getting more and more specific. He's getting more, he's honing, he's honing his argument, uh, sharpening it to the point where he wants to get since the beginning of the book. I <clears throat> say again what we said the first day we gathered that if, 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 by the way, you could read Romans in a matter of an hour. Yes, you could read it aloud in a matter of an hour. Um, I heard, I was watching something from a mission, say, oh, where, where was that? I can't remember now. But from a mission setting, and they asked a, a visiting preacher from America to preach, and he said, well, how long do I have? They said, um, uh, we normally preach for four hours. <laughs> and that was uh, fairly intimidating to the American because <laughs> just talking for four hours about any single subject is kind of difficult. But, but um, um, in your sermon, you're, you have an aim in any sermon you have an aim. Romans is, in effect, a sermon, an hour-long sermon. There are churches that do that. Uh, it has an aim, and you're, you're trying to accomplish that aim at every step through the sermon. So by the time you get to the end, the application is very plain and clear and justified through all that you've been saying. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think Paul is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you ministering in your spiritual gifting? And uh, I, 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 Jan and I talked about this on the way home from church Sunday, Wednesday night, last night. Uh, the, the point in Romans 12 is not finding your spiritual gift and then and then then really homing in on that. That's right. It's rather starting to be obedient, do what God has called us to do, and He might. I don't know. God's God. You know how he is. He's the, he might know how to use us. <laughs> he might know how to put us in the circumstances where he wants us to be. And the body of Christ might well be able to say, I see your desire to do this, but you're so effective over here. We want you over here. Does this make sense? Um, so... Um, so spiritual ministry and spiritual gifting, uh, chapter 13, uh, 12, 9 through 13, 10, uh, or 13, 14, uh, loving without play acting. And then in 14, 1, he's going to address the specific problem. If you're ministering in your spiritual gifting and if you're acting in love, then how can you possibly either despise or condemn a brother in Christ? So chapter 14, 1, him who is weak in the faith receive. And the rest of that verse is is open to two different interpretations. Um, One is, but not to discussion of of his opinions. And the other is, um, not to the discussion of doubt, doubtful things. I take the latter because the issue in this passage is 
the issue of eating meat or not. And when you've got Jewish people in the congregation and when you've got Gentile people in the congregation, Jews are going to have some objections to certain kinds of foods. Yes? And so it's a doubtful matter. It's open to discussion whether um, you want to offer a Jew uh, a pork chop or not. Now, that it, it's inconceivable to me that a Jew would not want a pork chop grilled. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Yummy. Yeah. Uh, but there are some Jews, like Paul, who have learned that he must adapt himself to whatever ministry context he's in. And that means uh, to the Jews, he's become a Jew. To the Greeks, he's become as a Gentile. And, and as such, then, he's able to eat meat when the contextual situation calls for it. Probably never really preferred pork, but he was able to do it so as not to offend, to, to erect, erect a, an artificial barrier to the message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Does this make sense to you? So, so... Um, uh, what Paul is saying here is accept him who is weak in the faith but not to dispute about his, um, his scruples. Uh, these matters of food are open to discussion in a variety of settings. I, I had um, a couple come visit in Dallas from India and we took them around and showed them the city of Dallas uh, to the extent that we could. And we stopped at a place called Red Hot and Blue, which is, I know, I know. oh, you know, they closed all, uh, they had three restaurants in Dallas and they closed them all. I was just sick. We loved that. It was Memphis barbecue. They, they claimed. I don't know. I'm not that, I'm not a barbecue aficionado, so I don't know whether it was Memphis barbecue or not, but Jan and I liked it. What I didn't know was, they saw pork on the on the uh, menu, and they were profoundly troubled by it. They were Christians, and were multi generational Christians, you know. So they there was no Hinduism that was in view there. They just didn't like pork, and I was so embarrassed. We, I okay, here's some here's some beef over here that you can order. Try the pulled chicken. <laughs> so yeah, pulled chicken. Chicken is their favorite meat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Um, I, I was so embarrassed at having put them in that mm-hmm. difficult position. They still love me. I'm anticipating a trip next spring to India, and uh, he's contacted me and said, please make time for us in Bizac and come to our town and teach. And I, I'm going to have to talk to my travel companion and see if he's going to be willing to put up with that. He may need to come back. He's a businessman, but I may stay and do some more ministry there. But if I can get into the country. The, um, the issue in this chapter then is a matter of opinions. Different Christians have different points of view on these things. And there are people who are weak and there are people who are strong. And it's important for us to define these terms. Weak is a fairly... Um, uh, what's the word I want? 
Um, Generic? Well, yeah. Uh, it, it, susceptible. It's it's a it's a term that kind of is is uh, looking down on people. Condescending? Condescending term. That's the word I was looking for. But look over in chapter 15. When Paul talks about the weak in chapter 14, it's they. In chapter 15, what group is he in? He's, he's strong. Which means what? That's the problem here. Uh, I take it that weak and strong have to do not with spiritual immaturity and spiritual maturity, but rather with a weak or strong conscience. And I propose this idea that, uh, here is uh, my summary of this paragraph, uh, or this section, really. Um, The weak are people whose consciences are more restricted than Scripture is. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. The strong have consciences that approximate the standards of Scripture. Okay? Does that make sense? Harlan, you're kind of staring at me. Well, I I keep going back to what you said previous, though, I mean, about spiritual maturity. But isn't... Doesn't conscience many times hinder? It can. But I had a prof who was about as boring a man as I ever sat under. I I got more naps when he was preaching than I want to admit. A chin elbowed me hard one Sunday morning. She said, you're snoring. (laughs) But uh, um, he said, your conscience is not always right, but it's never right to violate your conscience. So if I can't eat meat in good conscience, then I shouldn't eat meat. But that, that, from Paul's point of view, puts me in a category of being weak. Because uh, in light of what we've seen in chapters 6 and 7, if I'm keeping rules to be acceptable in God's eyes, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to weaken me spiritually. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have trouble with obedience because I'm trying to obey. I'm not trusting God and letting Him do His work in me. So these people are weak. Paul is strong because his conscience approximates the standards of Scripture. So this is this is a fundamental definition, as far as I can tell, in this in this whole passage. So uh, uh, him who is weak, accept this. Do you have receive in verse one? There, him who is weak in the faith. What do you do? Bear the weakness. Yeah, but, but but what's the verb right at the beginning of the verse? Receive. Welcome. Uh, this is the word that's used in in Philemon when Paul when t- Paul asks Philemon to receive Onesimus as me. If Paul was coming to your home, what kind of welcome would you give him? Oh, wait, 14-1 or 15-1? 15-1. Well, 14-1. 14-1 is what I'm looking for. 14-1. What kind of reception would you give Paul if he came to your home? Guarded. Authority, honor. 
You'd invite your friends because you'd want them, want them to meet this guy? Yes? Uh, um, that's what Paul wants Philemon to do to Onesimus. Give him the best room if he's going to stay overnight. Give him the best room in the house, the best bed in the house. Yes? Best food you can muster. Um, that's what Paul wants Philemon to do for a runaway slave. Who is why? Why does he want him to do that for Philemon? Because he's a brother in Christ. He's a brother in Christ. And that's what Paul wants Mm -hmm. the church to do with the weak. Welcome them as honored, beloved brothers. Honor each other, yeah. Yeah. You you follow this? Yeah. So, uh, him who is weak in the faith, receive... By the way, in Psalm 27, this uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that same verb is used. Um, I think the verse ought to be read, and I don't recall the verse number exact at, at all. But uh, <laughs> I started to say exactly, but exactly is not even accurate there. It's I don't remember the verse number at all. But you can find it readily. It's a short psalm. Um, I think it ought to be read, though most of our translations read it, though my mother and father reject me, the Lord will take me in. I think it ought to be read, my mother and father have rejected me, but the Lord will receive me. And same word. How does God receive his beloved children? Children. By bestowing them, by bestowing on us His own glory—that's astonishing. Yes, so, so this is the background for this kind of word. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense to you? Um, uh, then he begins to explain the issue of weakness and strength. And strength, verse two: One believes he can eat all things. The weak eat vegetables. Um, that's why I don't eat vegetables. I just eat meat because I don't want to be weak. <laughs> I, I I do eat vegetables, but uh, that was a joke. I just Linda, I wanted you to know that was a joke. So, <laughs> uh, uh, um, so the point, as we've been saying, is established here. Uh, the one who eats, let him not despise the one who does not eat. The word despise in Greek means make nothing of somebody make them out to be nothing and the one who does not eat let him not condemn him who does eat you perhaps have judge yeah but back in Romans 2 uh, uh, Paul talks about those who judge one another but in the context it is the concept of condemnation not just passing some kind of evaluation because you could evaluate somebody you could judge them and evaluate them as excellent uh, but in that context then the judging is an act of condemnation I think that's the point here um, the one who does not eat let him not condemn the one who does for God has and there's our word again welcomed, welcomed him so God has welcomed the weak and God has welcomed the strong. Both are welcome on the same basis. That's why Paul had to spend 
all the time explaining grace. <laughs> it, took, it took us eight chapters to get a, an explanation of grace. But he had to do that because he had to take all the ground out from under the strong for despising the weak because the weak are accepted on the same basis as the strong are. And I can't despise what God values. How can I, how can I despise what God values? Um, I'm, I'm told that Thomas Jefferson defined education as uh, learning to um, value the right things. Education is learning to value the right things. What Paul is doing here is education. He's t- teaching us how to value the right things. Well, what are the right things in the context? It's other believers who differ with us on the details of how the Christian life should be lived. Some eat meat, some don't. In this context, others, folks, there are all kinds of things going around in churches, yes, in every church. There are people with different kinds of scruples, none of which is particularly biblical, but... Um, they always make a, pay, a case for it biblically. Um, smoking won't send you to hell, but it'll sure make you sound, smell like you've been there. Amen. Now, smoking is is dangerous. It has. It's, it's my mother died of lung cancer. She never smoked once in her life, but but my dad did, and most of the men that she grew up around smoked. I don't know that her dad did, but most of the men who were around, uh, she was around growing up, smoked. Um, it has its dangers but there's not much that's not dangerous if done in improper ways so um, the issue for us is to begin to learn the grace of God and what that means about people who do things we don't do or don't do things we do Uh, in this in our day uh, a lot of churches are troubled about the charismatic gifts I am but if my brother uh, thinks he has that gift I may disagree with him but he's my brother yes mm-hmm. and I've got to accept him because right. we're not accepted by on the basis of our spiritual gifting we're, we're gifted because we're accepted and we're accepted by grace mm-hmm. so these issues must be set somewhat to the side uh, and and not used as means of evaluating each other. Um, so verse 4, <laughs> in Greek, when you have a verb, you don't need a pronoun. Uh, so you have, um, uh, who are you to judge another? Is that what you have? Yes. All right. In, in Greek, I have you, who are you? And that's very pointed. It's it's almost as if Paul is pointing his finger directly at uh, the um, the weak at this point. You, who are you to judge another man's servant? <laughs> uh, um, to his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand. Because God is able to make him stand. So the weak will be able to stand in the judgment. Who is the strong believer? 
who has the right to condemn what God has approved. Uh, so uh, we're down to verse 4 now. So let me get this over here. The weak must learn not to judge the Lord's servants since he has uh, already accepted them and will show their acceptance. He initially begins to, to deal with the, the weak. He addresses their problem. Um, and that takes us down to verse 9. So let me read through that, verse 5. Who are you to judge? I'm sorry. One man judges one day as over another. Another one judges every day equally. Let each one be convinced in his own mind. So in the culture of the first century church, there would be strongly Jewish groups of people, believers in Christ, who gather on Sabbath. Then there would be strongly Gentile groups who gather on first day of the week. Which one's right? Neither. Neither is right. That's a decision that you make. Uh, We gather on the first day of the week. um, Not improperly. But suppose you lived in a culture where there was a 10-day cycle instead of a 7-day cycle. Could you meet on Sunday every period? No. Nope. There, there isn't going to be a Sunday. So, so how do you know when to get it? Does this make sense? There, there have been cultures that have had 10-day cycles. Because the if effectively uh, you have 28 days in a month, and so 10, 10, and then 8, and then you, you go on to the next 10, 10, and 8. Does this make sense? All right. So, uh, so lunar calendar. The the point then is, you wouldn't be able to meet on the sat on Sunday, if you were if you were a a small group of Christians in a um, Muslim culture. Meeting on Sunday would make you stand out. The churches I've been I've been introduced to in Muslim culture, which is not many, one a couple. Meet on Friday night because that's when the that's when the yeah they're all at the mosque so they meet on Friday night. Um, Is there something inherently wrong with that? Is there a command about keeping the first day of the week holy? We talk about the Sabbath commandment in this regard, but I point out to you that the Sabbath is not the first day of the week; it's the last day of the week. And it's primarily related to an agrarian culture. For a, a teacher, uh, uh, what? I can't even think offhand, working in a business, um, uh, meeting on Sunday is no hindrance to making a living. But if you're a farmer, taking every Sabbath day off could become a hindrance, especially at harvest time. Yes? You want to get that harvest in quick because you don't know if storms are going to come and will destroy the harvest. So you want to get that in quick, but you're not permitted to. You must keep Sabbath. Sunday is irrelevant as far as Sabbath is concerned. Nothing that Sabbath means is anything we practice on Sunday. So the issue is if you wanted to meet on Tuesday... For your church, you'd be weird 
but 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 there's nothing inherent in Scripture that would say you couldn't do it. Uh, so, uh, the one who honors the day honors it to the Lord. The one who eats eats to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. And the one who does not eat does not eat to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. Which one's right? For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. If if therefore we live, or if we die, we are the Lord's. For this reason, Christ died and came to life again, so that he might uh, be Lord of the living and the dead. You, and he does it again. He puts that pronoun in there. You, who are you? Um, to judge your brother, or you? So, so, who judges whom? In the passage, it's the weak that judge the strong. So, in verse ten, he says, "You, who are you to judge your brother?" But then he turns to the strong, or you, who are you to despise your brother? For all of us will present ourselves at the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, um, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will make public proclamation to to God. Therefore, each one of us shall give an account to God. You don't have the credentials (laughs) to evaluate the spiritual status of your brother and sister simply not qualified we don't I don't have the I don't have the competence to do this so this as I've said to classes over the years let me take a job off your off your back first job take off your back chapter 13 is vengeance you just leave that to God he's he's that's his job and he's delegated it to the government okay uh, second job is you don't need to judge anybody. Just quit. This is a job you don't have to do. I give you a whole lot of time let back <laughs> during your week, not judging people. Uh, but from this point on, he's going to be dealing with uh, the strong folks. Um, if you have Chago, if you had you're in a training brigade and you have a couple of uh, of soldiers one who's weaker and one who's stronger, but because of the needs of the mission, you have to couple them together. What do you, what do you tell them? How are they going to accomplish this mission? Well, I tell them one to take the lead of the other. Yeah. Yeah, you put it in command. But then... But then you tell the other one, I need you to learn everything so you can become like him. And I also must tell the, uh, the stronger man, you can't run at your... At your speed, you have to run at your that's right your co-laborer's speed because to to accomplish the mission is going to take both of you. Yeah, the idea mm-hmm. is not to go to the other to the other hill and say, "How come you're not here?" No, mm-hmm. it's to walk with that other to get him there. That's right. So, so this is where we are spiritually here. the 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 onus does not lie with the weak. The onus lies with the strong. But there's a higher responsibility on the strong. Absolutely. So this is the point through 15, uh, uh, 13, I think it is. Um, all the way down to 15, 13, he's going to be primarily introdu- a- 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 addressing the strong. Mm-hmm. Let us therefore no longer judge one another, but 
decide this rather. It's the same word. You have do you have decide this rather? But rather resolve. Resolve, that's the same word as judging in verse thirteen. Judge this instead, not to lay a stumbling block or a cause of offense before your brother. Do you have cause of offense? What do you have? Cause to fall. Cause to fall, an occasion for fall. Offense in in the New Testament, offending another is not make them, making them feel bad or doing something that they don't like. Offending is leading people to violate their conscience. So for the strong, if I'm going to, if, if I'm weak and you're strong, uh, and you invite me to dinner, if you don't offend me, you will not ask me to eat meat. You will not even serve meat. You will uh, provide a vegetarian meal. Does this make sense to you? But that entails that we have to know each other. The, the good news in the first century was these folks were, were driven together. <laughs> they had to be just for mutual support and, and protection. Most people didn't most people made almost enough to pay the rent for one day and buy food for one day. But if suppose as a day laborer, suppose you didn't get work that day, then the, the rest of the body had to take him in and help him out get him through where he can work the next day if, if he can get a job. Uh, so you're, you're going to be supporting one another in this respect, but that means you got to know them so that you know their weaknesses so that you don't lead them to violate their conscience. Um, verse 14, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that there is nothing common. Do you have unclean? Unclean, that's a good translation here. The word common is 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 the Greek word normally, but except to him who thinks it's unclean, to him it, to him it is unclean. For if my brother is grieved by food, um, if your brother is 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 grieved by food, you are no longer walking in love. And then back to chapter thirteen, uh, love without play acting. This is what self-sacrifice means. Um, do not, by your food, destroy him for whom Christ died. That word is a strong word in Greek. Do you have destroy? Is that what you have? Yeah. I don't know exactly how to read that. I don't know what that means, but it is quite a strong word, and destroy is not too strong a translation for it. Um, I can do serious spiritual harm to a brother or sister in Christ by leading them to violate their conscience. Your conscience isn't always right, but it's never right to violate your conscience. Probably the only thing I remember that guy saying, <laughs> and I won't tell you his name. Uh, um, do not let what is good, what you're good, be slandered. Um, for the kingdom of God is not food and drink. Why use these matters to evaluate the spirituality of another person? The kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness, 
and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those are the issues. Major in the majors, not in the minors. Major in the majors, not in the minors. So the issue of righteousness here is not obedience to commandments. We've been saying that. It's right relationship with God by faith. That's what's important. Is, Is this other person right with God by faith? Then who are you to condemn? Who are you to try to damage that person by trying to get him to either violate his conscience or embrace something that he thinks is wrong. Or So, um, verse 18, the one who serves Christ in this is well-pleasing to God and is approved by men. So then, where are we? Uh, we're past the outline here. Um, uh, uh, so then, seek, let's, do you have seek the things of peace? Pursue, follow. This is a word that would be used for a soldier chasing an enemy in battle. <laughs> in, in hand-to-hand combat, right? Uh, so you, you, you know you can kill him, but he's, he's running away from you. You're going to chase him, going to hound him down, right? So let's hound down the things that belong to peace. Um, and uh, the things that build people one another up. Once again, he says, verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. It's a different word, but um, uh, it's the same basic idea. I don't don't know what that means. I wish I did. Uh, But you can do some serious damage by imposing on a weaker brother your freedom you can do a serious damage to that brother. Why would you do that? Uh, and Paul doesn't shrink from using the word destroy for what you're doing to the work of God. Uh, so don't use your freedom as a pretext imposing it on everybody else. Not everybody else has the same scruples you do. But they're all justified by faith in Christ. They're all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They are all right in God's eyes. Then why would you harm them? Um, Can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, my Bible talks about mature and immature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that's the point. Okay, in this yeah. regard. But, yeah. uh, I guess the question is that if we, if we are we are discipling yeah. someone, yeah. and they are not as far along as mm-hmm. we might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, I see that as kind of calling them out. And, and, yes. And, you know, here's what you're supposed to be, not what you're doing. Yeah. Well, that's kind of this confrontation. In a sense, yeah. Um, except, except that you're not telling them you're you're somehow less than everybody else because you do this. Uh, what, let, me, let me make a distinction here. There's a distinction between calling people to, to obedience and calling to people to a cultural practice. So if my Christian culture <laughs> tells me I have to do this, I may have bought into it, right? But that doesn't mean this brother has to do that. You don't judge, you don't recriminate. That's where 12.2 12, 12, comes along. 
what you do is that you disciple and you teach. Yeah. And the conscience will change so he never gets to violate his own conscience. Yeah. But his conscience may never change. May never change. But that's all right. Correct. There's, there's no inherent reason that it must. Except that he's weak. Yeah. From from the Holy Spirit's point of view, he's weak. And it would be better to be strong, but it's not an essential. We're, we're majoring on minors when we do these kinds of things, and that's the difference, I think, between what, what we're talking about here and what you were mentioning. Uh, verse uh, uh, 21, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 20 continues, all things are clean, and they, of course not everything in the world is clean, but he's talking about food. All foods are clean, but it's evil to the man who eats by stumbling. If, if he violates his conscience by eating some food that before it's, it's created by God, it's good, it's, it's so far as we know healthy food, but his conscience tells him, I'm, I'm doing something wrong in God's eyes, then it's evil to do that. Uh, it's good, and here Paul states a general principle, it's, it's good not to eat meat or to drink wine or anything else by which your brother is is stumbled and hear that word again once once more is led to violate his conscience if i'm doing something that leads a brother or a sister to violate a con- their conscience then i'm not living in love i may be perfectly free under god to do it but that doesn't mean that i have the absolute um license to do that particular thing. Um, (laughs) Verse uh, 20, you, and he says it again, here's this, you is is emphatic, you have, uh, uh, hold the faith that you have before God. Blessed is the one who does not judge himself by what he approves um, but the one who eats who eats oh, I'm sorry uh, the one who eats with doubting is condemned because it's not of faith and everything that is not of faith is sin and this goes way back to our earlier discussion earliest discussion about what faith what sin is John 16 8 and 9 I used to use this verse but it took too much explanation to get to it so John 16 8 and 9 works better but um, everything that's not of faith is sin sin is not first and foremost breaking commandments sin is first and foremost living in unbelief uh, or acting in unbelief and so whenever I act in unbelief even doing something that's right before God if I'm acting in unbelief, it's still a sin. Um, now, chapter uh, 15, um, and down here at the bottom, this whole section, the strong who are righteous by faith must not flaunt their freedom so that the weak violate their consciences through their brother's example, but should limit their own freedom for the weak. And we just came through this passage, so we're starting verses 15, 1 to 4. Uh, we who are strong ought uh, ought to use our freedom for the sake of the weak, following the example of Christ. I'm going to change that right quick here. 
um, but I don't know how that got in there. I, I, that's the first time I've ever noticed that. Um, so when, as, as we live, what is the example of Christ? He came as a Jew, but he's the son of God. Does he have the right to use the all of creation and all the foods in creation to satisfy his hunger? He does. He does. But he doesn't use that right. He limits it. I'm, I'm confused about this, um, what you're saying up there about verse 23. Okay. That you're saying if the strong does something that causes the weaker brother to violate his conscience. Yes. It's also causing that weaker brother to act in unbelief. That's the point. Yeah. It's he's he's uh, if if I'm eating beef and he and my weaker brother is at my table and he thinks, well, Jim can do it. Uh, and he eats beef, but his violent his conscience is violated. Then he has sinned, right? Because he, he cannot in he cannot in good faith eat beef in the presence of God. Go ahead. Well, I, now you're you're using a different word there, which I guess helps me better understand. Okay. He's by him eating the meat, even though it's violating his conscience, he's not acting in. In faith, because as so, far as so the opposite is, if he's not acting in faith, he's acting in unbelief. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So fifteen, uh, one to four, um, we who are strong ought to bear with the weaknesses of the weak and not to please ourselves. What has that to do with anything in the Book of Romans? Well, it has everything to do with the Book of Romans. Uh, I must receive others, other brothers and sisters, by grace. Ah, but love does this, folks. Love. <laughs> Can you imagine young parents, they have a four-year-old, and the four-year-old has some kind of uh, milk, uh, I don't know whether allergy, sensitivity, but they take him every week to Baskin-Robbins and have ice cream, but he can't eat it. Can you imagine parents doing that? What are you thinking, Carlin? Uh, no, I, I was. I like your analogy. Uh, some parents might. Might some parents would, but 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 you know what you would think of that. Yeah. Well, this is the same thing that's going on here. We are we are to love sacrificially. We we we're called to self-sacrificial love. We're not to please ourselves, but we are to seek the good of the other. Uh, so I may have absolute freedom to do some things, but others in my community may not see it that way. I may still do them, but I shouldn't flaunt it before them. Yes? Um, and I surely shouldn't invite them to the occasion. <laughs> um, so, uh, verse 2, uh, each one let him please his neighbor for, for the good for building up. Everything that we do must be seeking to build one another up in our faith. Um, for even Christ did not please himself, 
but but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. The things that were written beforehand were written for our our instruction, so that through the uh, endurance uh, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Jesus becomes our model, so we watch him. What did he do? He kept kosher. Never suggested that he violated kosher laws. Um, he allowed his disciples to pluck grain on the on the Sabbath because it wasn't harvesting. Uh, the the law. I just read it this last week. The law in Deuteronomy says you you can uh, on the Sabbath. You're, if you're going through a sown field, you can take the heads of of grain off off the stalk and and uh, eat them. But you can't take anything from the the field. That's harvesting. See, they didn't do that. They weren't putting stuff in their pockets to carry with them on the ship. They were just eating because they were hungry. And so Jesus is right to rebuke the the the, the Pharisees who chide them for harvesting on the Sabbath. They're breaking breaking the law of the Sabbath law. They weren't breaking the Sabbath law. So so he did he did hold the law. But he didn't require the Pharisaic interpretation of the law. So, um, verse 5, in, in effect, we're coming to the end. The rest of this is going to be kind of summation down through the end of chapter 15. Now, the God of peace, God of endurance and, and comfort, may he give to you the, the, the privilege of having the same mindset among yourselves according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord, I want you to note this, uh, the same mindset. Do you have the same in your text in verse 5? Same mind. Same mind. Like-minded. Yeah. Um, With one accord in verse 6, with one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's emphasizing unity three times there. Uh, The effect of grace, the the effect of the teaching of grace, salvation by grace, entails that the church must be a place of grace where people can differ, but they're accepted even though they, they differ. And the strong limit their behavior on behalf of the of the weak, Jesus did. They can. Um, so, uh, chapter fifteen, verse seven. Now, um, from verse seven to thirteen, we come to a conclusion. This is, in effect, the conclusion of the epistle. Um, well, that's not quite right. Um, let me see here. Yeah, in effect, it's the coming to the, the the end of the epistle. Wherefore, receive one another as Christ received you, uh, since Christ is the minister of both the circumcision and the uncircumcision, as the Scripture says. So, verse seven. For this reason, receive one another as Christ also received you for the glory of God. And I think that's the summation verse of the whole book. 
uh, for the reasons given all these months that we've been together. Um, for I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcision for the sake of the truth of God to confirm the promises of the fathers and that the Gentiles may glorify God by, by you have uh, mercy yes yeah uh, this word is I, this is the first time I've seen this outside the setting of Romans 9 to 11 um I think that word should be translated grace in, in Romans. I, there are reasons for that. I won't tell you. I, I won't belabor that right now. As it is written, for this reason, I will, I will be glorified through you among the Gentiles. Uh, I will sing your praise. And again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, sing all you nations to the Lord and let all the people groups uh, boast about him. And again, Isaiah says, uh, uh, there shall be a root from Jesse and the ruler who will rule over the Gentiles. Um, the Gentiles will put their hope in him. Now, God of peace, fill you with all joy and peace in believing uh, for your increase in, in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is the end, effectively, of the message of the book of, I, of Romans. The rest of this is going to be what you generally do when you end a letter in the first century. You, you make general comments about your situation, plans, whatever you're doing, and then you give greetings. And in this passage, and we'll go through this very quickly, uh, 16... Uh, I commend, uh, oh, was that 16? Let me go back to 15, uh, 15 to 21. I am persuaded that you are capable of doing this and helping each other to accept one another by grace, 15, 14. I have written boldly to you to call you to grace because I myself minister under grace by his power so that the Gentiles will be my offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that's 15 to 21 as I understand it uh, you may have some questions about it I do want to point out to you verse 16 there is some worship language there that we don't recognize as worship language but Paul is offering the is, is doing a priestly work of the gospel uh, and the Gentiles are a sacrifice you have offering in your text that's a nice clean word for Americans, but it's a sacrifice. Um, uh, Well-pleasing, sanctified in the Holy Spirit. Folks, you want to know what worship is? It almost never happens in the gathering of the... In fact, in the New Testament, worship never happens in the gathering of the, of the assembly. Always happens in the scattering of the assembly. Did Paul come, go out in the in the marketplace and invite people to church so they could hear him preach? No. No. Preached to them in the marketplace. And that was his priestly duty. That was his priestly service. It was his offering to the Lord. <laughs> uh, um, verse uh, 22. Oh, I don't have any summary. I guess verses 22 and following are not part of the Bible. <laughs> uh, um I know 
some people, I mean, some think that 15 was the last chapter. Uh, possibly not. No, not. I, I don't think so. But the end of chapter sixteen has opened a question. Uh, um, I have, uh, for this reason, I've been prohibited in many ways from coming from to you. Now, uh, no longer having an, uh, any any place in these regions, I have a and having a desire to come to you uh, for many years. Uh, so that I may travel on my way to Spain. I hope, as I pass pass through, to see you and to be sent on my way. Do you have sent on my way there in verse 24? Is that what you have? Uh, this is the word, this, this idea culturally meant that some of them would get him on the right road to get to Spain. In this case, they would they would probably... Um, accompany him down to Ostia. He would get the right ship that would a good ship that he could count on the captain <laughs> and get to Spain. But they'd also give him provisions for the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, verse twenty-five. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints for the people of Macedonia and Achaia. Do you remember Second Corinthians nine? What, what did he say about the the people of Macedonia and their and their wealth? They gave, they gave everything. Yeah. Pretty much. But they did it out of their deep poverty. Their deep poverty, that's right. So the, the people of Macedonia and Achaia were, were um, wanted to make some um, contribution. This is the word fellowship. Contribution for the poor of the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, they, they thought it right, and they are their debtors. This is once more going back to the theme of the book. Uh, you may be a Gentile and, gen- and, and genuinely saved, but you're a debtor to Jews. You can't look down on Jews. They are their debtors. For if uh, the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual things, it's, on- it's only proper that they respond by serving them in physical things. So here's a basic principle of giving. Uh, and then verse 28 when I have finished this and sealed this to them, uh, this fruit to them, I will uh, set out th- by coming to you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Um, I recommend to you, uh, brothers, let's see, uh, I exhort you, brothers, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. Uh, to struggle with me in your prayers for me to God so that I might be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea and uh, that my ministry, my diaconate, (laughs) uh, 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 which is for Jerusalem, will be well-pleasing to the saints so that that I may come to you in joy by the will of God. have, uh, and be refreshed by you. May the God of peace be with you all, which is proof that Paul was from the south. So, amen. Chapter 16, then, is the greetings. And the only thing I want to point out in this chapter is the names. Um, we have a series of names. Let me see, I surely have this, Yes. I have a series of names in the chapter, and this is small print, and I know that's small print, but but um, 
I wanted you to see the, the ones especially that are highlighted. Uh, names are highlighted there. Um, the reason for that is these are slave names. If, if Paul has never been to Rome, who is he most likely, whose names are he, is he most likely to know? Is he most likely to know the, the names of the people who stay and clean up after the service when the, when the church gathers? Or is he most likely to know leaders in the community? But in the community in Rome, there were slaves or freedmen. Half the city were slaves. But my point is that there were there were social barriers for slaves in Roman society, okay. but not in the church. Correct. So they're already practicing to some degree the grace of God. Uh, so this is not new to them. And he closes his letter then with. I urge you, brothers, to watch uh, watch out for those who cause divisions and offenses against the teaching which you have learned, um, acting against the teaching that you have learned, and steer clear of them, for such are are not servants of Jesus Christ, but they are they are slaves to their own belly, and and uh, through the um, uh, through smooth speech. And uh, bless uh, and, and uh, commendation, they deceive the hearts of of the, of the simple. Um, your obedience, let your be obedience. I'm sorry, your obedience has reached everyone. I rejoice over you, therefore, and I want you to be wise for the good, but not mixed up in any way with the evil. And the God of peace will cause Satan to stumble uh, under your feet, be trampled under your feet quickly. Uh, the grace of, of the Lord Jesus be with you. Uh, Timothy greets you, my fellow worker, Luke, Jason, Sosipater, my kinsman. Uh, these, the, the, there are probably both Jason and Sosipater are included because the word kinsman is plural. Uh, I, I greet you. Uh, I, Tertius, greet you. I'm the one who wrote the letter in the Lord. Uh, um, and uh, Gaius greets you, my my uh, host, and the host of the whole church. So uh, Gaius is probably the. Um, have you been to Corinth? Uh, okay, there's an inscription in Corinth about Gaius, who is the, and I've forgotten the title, but he's a city official in Corinth. So Gaius probably is this guy. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's Aristus uh, greets you, who uh, the steward of the city, and and Quartus the brothers. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, he's Aristus is a high-ranking man. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden from eternal times, made known now through the prophetic scriptures and according to the commandment of God, for the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, to him, uh, to to God alone, the the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you wondered whether I could finish it today. We did. <laughs> uh, 
uh, it's past time to quit. Do you have any questions that you want to ask? Yeah, back over in uh, verse 18 and then again in verse uh, 19, yeah. he is, uh, this translation uses the word simple, but it suggests that that can also mean innocent. That innocent sounds... In, in chapter 16? Um, yeah, chapter 16, verse 18. Okay. That, that word innocent uh, yeah. makes more sense. Yeah, akakos would mean more more likely uh, innocent rather than the other. Because when I think of simple, I think like simple minded. Yeah, that's right. But innocent yeah. seems to make more yeah. sense. In that. What translation do you have? Uh, New American Standard. Okay. No, no, this is the New King James. Okay, well, that's why that's there. It's, uh, it's still preserving the King James translation there. Well, thanks, folks, for doing this, and I I hope to see you next week, and we'll continue with uh, Ephesians, but uh, we are done with Romans. You may let out a hearty amen. Thank you, Lord, for that.